it looks like we piqued your interest in the hideout. First of all, let me tell you what the hideout is not. The hideout is not for hustlers, for grinders, or for people who are looking for a shortcut to what the world calls success. The hideout is about growing as men, creating lifelong friendships, and having the time of our lives. Are you ready to tap in to the endless source that will take you from success to significance? The hideout is two and a half days of hiking, biking, and doing the little things that it takes to create lifelong friendships. I find that joy is nothing more than falling in love with your current circumstances and allowing magic to happen. And that's when we see growth in every area of your life. Have you accomplished your goals professionally and financially and you still thirst for something more? Has success in these areas come at the expense of far more valuable things like your family, your children, and your relationships? Alignment in business strategic partnerships, and joint ventures all come from true relationships. The Hideout is designed to get to know people before you'll ever need them. This is not your typical mastermind. The Hideout is focused on the one thing that will fuel everything, joy. And when joy is overflowing in your life, you'll find growth in your marriage, your relationships, and oh yeah, your business. Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything. Uh, on today's show, I I've got the perma grin on my face, and I've had it for probably the last couple of months because I made a new friend. I got a chance to go up to Orange County and uh, be at a, a drum circle with 12 of the top drummers in the entire world that have ever done it. And it was amazing because I thought I was just going to watch the drum circle. But little did I know, the man that's in front of you right now would stop the entire drum circle and say, hey, everybody, a rhythm starts with a beat. And I was like, wow, this is amazing because I'm learning from one of the greatest of all time. And he began to talk about that. And I, little did I know he was going to turn and point at me and say, give me a beat. Well, I've never played the drums in my life. Uh, <laughs> I, I was beating on that drum and he said, give me a beat. And everybody's looking at me. And then I just started doing this beat and I was praying to sweet baby Jesus to make sure that my beat stayed in place. And he started doing a walk and he said, some people walk normal. And then he said, but other people really get into it and they live their life. And he started limping a little bit and he said, yeah, that's it. That's it. Keep that beat going. He kept pointing at me, keep that beat going. And then he pointed over to Rick Allen, the drummer of Def Leppard and said, come on in behind. And he came in behind. And then, uh, then, uh, you know, Lenny Kravitz drummer started playing the cowbell and then everybody went to my beat. And this man that is one of the most legendary drummers in the entire world, a musical director, a producer, has played for uh, Little Richard from the time he was 14 years old, played on uh, Saturday Night Live, the first episode, played with Elton John, George Harrison, Bill Withers, took himself made himself small so he can make somebody else big. And he made my entire day that day. And that's the reason why I think he's one of the most legendary guys in the planet. So please welcome to the uh, show, Mr. Alvin Taylor. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Wow. What an introduction. You know, it's amazing. Uh, our thoughts and actions um, really shape who we are and it really affects uh other people that are around us. And so 
I knew that there was just something that was, I was looking in your eyes that day and it was just something there that needed to be exposed and something that needed to come out. I don't know whether it was, you know, uh, being fearful of trying to play around, you know, other drummers and you're not even being a drummer, but it was just something that I, I, I knew that was there. And uh, thank God, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm grateful that, um, that I was led to call upon you because you actually got that rhythm going and everybody followed you. You actually led there. And it was a wonderful thing, a good thing for us all. Yeah. Well, Alvin, uh, you know. Alvin, take us to, you, you started drumming at five years old, okay? And a lot of times, you know, people at five years old, they're going to tell you, hey, I dream of being a drummer. But at five years old, you start in, and at 14 years old, something happens that's massive. Can you talk about that? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it started in the church. Um, I grew up in this church. Everybody calls it the Holy Ghost Church or the, the Holy Rollers. Uh, it's, it's a Pentecostal. Uh, and you know, we, uh, our, our concept is like, Hey, religion is man's attempt to get to God, but Jesus is, Jesus is, uh, God's attempt to get to man. So we learn about that in church and, and what's so cool about it, unlike a lot of the other churches where people are sitting up, you know, straight in the church and, you know, uh, we're like, you know, hey, man, we're getting down. We're like, you know, Hey, we're dancing and we're hallelujah shouting and, you know, um, raising our hands as we're worshiping and honoring the God of our understanding. And um, so it, it just got to a point where we were at a high uh, point of the service. And we have these real um, festive like type of services, you know, very festive. And this was a night that, uh, boy, the, the spirits were high and the music was going. Like I said, unlike a lot of churches, we had instruments in our church. You know, and some folks, they don't know anything about instruments. What an instrument in the church. The church is to be quiet and to sit down and to hear the word and to hear the preacher preaching. You know, none of this music stuff, you know. But, yeah, yeah, in our church, we got bongos, tambourines, cowbells, uh, you know, I mean, drums, guitar, bass player, organ, piano just a bunch of musical instruments and so we're you know at a high time worship and uh, uh, all of a sudden uh, the drummer uh, that's playing drums gets what we call the holy ghost that's that's when you get so uh overcome by the spirit and the power you know of, of excitement that you just kind of like you know you you go into a zone and so he just jumped off the drums and started shouting and uh, floating down the, the aisleways and he's as he was floating down the aisleways I'm thinking you know hmm something's not right here oh I know what's not right uh, the beat all of a sudden there's no beat and I'm thinking the beat must go on and I, I and I had heard this song uh, the beat goes on or something like that or la di da di di la di da di da the beat goes on so I'm thinking the beat has to go on uh, in spite of this guy getting off the drums and leaving the drums, the drums still got to go. So I looked around and took it upon myself to get on the drums and start playing. <laughs> so that's when I really kind of discovered that, you know, yeah. Um, especially after hearing everyone tell my mom at the end of the service, 
Miss Eula, my mom's name is Eula. Uh, you ought to get this kid a drum set. And my mom's like, you know, you know hey, uh, how about I get your kid a drum set? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so if you ever want to get somebody mad, you know, get them, get them really, or, or if you're ever uh, angry with someone, just buy their kid a drum set, you know, you'll get back at them, you know. Yes. So, so um, apparently, um, my mom was hearing what they were saying that uh, you know that you have a talented little boy, and um, he uh, could really play those drums well. So the next thing I know is that you know, hey, with all that attention, I thought, okay, I know exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to play drums, and so I started uh, playing drums, and uh, they would. Um, ask me every now and then to you know play drums uh, on a Sunday Sunday morning or uh, Tuesday night when I would walk in and so I get a chance to play drums and I discovered uh, in the church uh, where um, I was attending that I had a talent that I could play drums so that's how it started um, next thing I know is I'm playing in local bands around town excuse me uh, and uh, I would go to the, uh, uh, we would have two different parades in our city, Palm Springs. We'd have uh, the rodeo parade and the Christmas parade, annual parades every every year. And these were times, the, the greatest times uh, of my life that I would just get so excited when I know that the parade was coming because I'd come and I'd sit on the curb and I'd sit there and I'd like about a mile down the road. You know, I could hear the sound way faint in the background. Just... And I was like, oh man, the closer, the closer the beat got to me, the, you know, the closer they got, the more my shirt was just jumping out of my, I mean, the, the my heart was just pounding and my, my shirt was just boom, 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 boom. You could, hear, you could see the shirt moving and boy, um, it's like my heart, it felt like my heart was just going to jump out of my chest and I'd get excited and I'd see the drum major with the big, you know, the big hat and the baton and, you know, even, even today I still wear the, the drum regalia, and as you can see, the way I'm dressed now, you know, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, I just love the band, uh, the big band, and the drum sounds, and so um, yeah. One one day, I remember getting lost. I I was like, I followed the band. I was walk watching the band. And I'd walk, before I knew it, I'd walked away a mile down the road with the band. And my parents were wondering where am I? They're looking all over for me. I'm there. I'm down the road with the band, you know. So I uh, discovered that I had that talent. And then uh, you, wanted, you wanted me to talk about the second part of that. Um, by the time I was 14, I was washing dishes uh, uh, at the uh, Biltmore Hotel, and I'd gotten a promotion to, to be the uh, busboy. So I came from out of the kitchen, and I'm out in the dining room now, and I'm kind of bussing tables. And, um, and there was a band there called the Soul Patrol. 
and the the drummer would get so inebriated that he couldn't finish the set he couldn't play and so finally i thought i'd tell the the band leader that i hey i'm a drummer i can play and he's like oh get out of here kid you bother me go away kind of like type of an attitude and i was like no 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 really i can i can play and so finally you know after trying to convince him um took a little while finally he said okay you know you bother me you know that's that's come saturday and we see what you can do then the saturday would, would be like a perfect time because ernie the drummer he wouldn't know i was playing on his drum set and i'd get a chance to <laughs> i'd get a chance to show the guy what i could do and you know so i played and he was like oh he was totally shocked he's like oh my god this kid and he was telling everybody, oh, you should hear this guy. And um, so finally, uh, they, I remember them telling the drummer, hey, if um, you, don't, you don't get your act together, we're going to replace you with a 14-year-old kid who knows how to play drums. And he was like, ah, you know, like, yeah, seriously, you know. And uh, so they thought it was such a great idea that they asked the owner uh, of the Biltmore Hotel where I was uh, working at, uh, the band said, Hey, uh, is it possible that we could use your bus boy, your bus boy to play drums with us if our drummer is not able to make it? And the owner's like, you know, are you kidding me? That's my bus boy. I'm not, no, I got a, he's got a bus table there. Well, what if the tables are bus? Well, okay. As long as the tables are bus, I don't mind him jamming with you guys. No problem. So one night, um, the drummer set out, he got, too inebriated, too drunk to, to play and perform. He set out, and I was asked to sit in. In walks Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Little Richard, and Billy Preston, all at the same time. And they uh, grabbed the table, and, and they were like, Frank was like, oh, he's pointing to Richard. And, and, um, and you know, when you stop and think about that core, that group of people, you're like, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., okay, yeah, I got that. Little Richard? Hmm, I don't know. I don't, why would Little Richard be hanging out with Sammy Davis Jr. and Billy Pre Well, anyway, I didn't know who Billy Preston was. I didn't know who Little Richard was. I had no idea. I knew who Frank Sinatra was and Sammy Davis Jr. were. They were from, you know, they were the Rat Pack around town here in Palm Springs where I grew up. Um, but uh, Richard, um, what happened is that there was a Frank owned a label called Reprise Records. They're distributed by Warner Brothers, and that's Frank's label. He owned that label, and so uh, he had just signed Little Richard, and so they were having a big party, a celebration at Frank's home uh, on Frank Sinatra Drive in Palm Springs, off of off of Frank Sinatra Drive. So we're having a big party, celebrating this. Uh, uh, you know, Richard signing to the label Reprise Records. So that's why they were together. But uh, anyway, Richard came um, there uh, for this big party and uh, was invited by you know, Sinatra. And Sinatra had his cloney uh, Frank and, um, of course, uh, Richard bought Billy Preston. As Billy Preston was his organist. Um, so... Here I am playing for these guys, and they're really loving it. And some guy by the name of Candy Hunter comes back to the back. He's Richard's um, 
kind of like a golfer or, or bodyguard type of guy, you know. And so he comes up and says, hey, Richard really liked the way you play. He wants to meet you. And I'm like, Richard? Who's Richard? You know, I <laughs> said. So anyway, yeah, Richard comes back. He said, whoa, honey, my name is Little Richard. I'm the king of rock and roll. I'm the emancipator, the approclamator, and the originator. Now, honey, I said, I'm going there with no more. And he says, shut up. He said, ooh, when I seen you play them drums, my big toe just shot straight up in my boots. He said, oh, I wanted to scream like a white lady. He said, honey, I ain't seen nothing like you since I left Macon, Georgia. I ain't seen a drummer like that since I left Macon. He said, I ain't kidding, Macon. I said, like, Macon? I was like, what the heck is Macon? And, and I said, like, and then he says, the strangest thing, would you play, would you be in my band? And I'm thinking, would I, would I be in his band? He's got this headdress on and, you know, feathers hanging. I'm thinking, no. Now, I grew up in Palm Springs, you know, on the Indian Reservation. So, you know, the only, we talk about band, I'm thinking of the, you know, Agua Caliente band of Cahuilla Indians, you know. You know, so I'm thinking the, he wants me to play in the band, you know, maybe, I don't know. I, I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't have, knew who. When I told my mom that this guy named Little Richard wanted me to be in his band, uh, can I play in his band, Mom? She said, oh, absolutely not under no circumstances. And then she she was like, you know, uh, Richard not wanting to be outdone, uh, had his manager to uh, call my mom and talk to her to try to find out what her concerns were. She was like, hey, he's only 14 years old. He hasn't finished school. And oh, don't worry, we'll have, a, we'll have bodyguards with him. He, he won't be on the bus with the rest of the band. He'll fight first class with Richard. Uh, we'll, we'll have tutors for him. Uh, he'll have, have an adjoining uh, a room to the to the adjoining the suites where Richard's going to be singing on any given gig. And uh, my mom was like, you know, and, and then she was like, uh, and he's going to be getting X amount of dollars. And my mom said, uh, uh, how much did you say that was again? And uh, I mean, I can imagine my mom sitting back and back tallying it up, saying, okay, uh, uh, for well. Four hundred a month for here is four or five hundred. Ooh, that's more than the mortgage. Um, when do we want me to help him pack? <laughs> yeah. So the next thing I know, I'm on the road, opening up the show for Elvis Presley at the International Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, in Little Richard's band with Billy Preston playing keyboards, uh, playing organ, Richard playing piano, and we had this guy named Jimmy James who was our guitarist. And uh, when somebody said to me, ooh, y'all, you got to check out this bad album. This is an amazing album. The sounds on this album. There's this guy named Jimi Hendrix, and they bring this album. And I look at the album and say, Jimi Hendrix? That ain't no Jimi Hendrix. That's Jimmy James, you know, because we knew him as Jimmy James. That was our, key, our, our, our guitar player. And so that's <laughs> the beginning of my career. That's how it started. And there's a lot of stuff that's happened between that time and where I'm at now. So now talk to us too, Alvin, because a lot of times, you know, that, that bang kind of happens, right? So you end up in Las Vegas, you're playing with Billy Preston, uh, with little Richard and Jimmy James, as we know, Jimi Hendrix opening right. for Elvis Presley at 14 years old. What is going through your mind at this time? Or are you just locked into the drums and so happy that you're playing the drums? 
Well, um, I was so focused on my parts um, and what I had to do as a drummer. Um, it, it, it never, I mean, it, to me, it was just a natural, normal, acceptable aspect of, 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 of human nature to just be there playing. And Elvis Presley was just, you know, to me, just another guy who happened to be very talented and very, very nice man. Yeah, I knew him as this nice man, you know, and uh, oh, there's that nice man, you know, as Elvis Presley. He was always asking Richard, and he called Richard King, by the way. He said, "Hey, King, is everything okay, King? Um, hey, King, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna bring this, and I'm gonna do that, and I'm going over, and I'm gonna have that." Hey, King. Hey, King. It was always, you know, Richard uh, was was like the Godfather. You know, it's like uh, everybody respected and loved him. And I mean, everybody would show up there. I mean, Anne, Margaret, uh, Three Dog Night, uh, uh, Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger, uh, Ike and Tina Turner. I mean, you name it, everybody was there at Richard's show. The president, you know, the queen would come over, you know, uh, from England and, and all kinds of um, um, uh, um, uh, 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 preachers and great uh, Billy Graham, you know, great leaders. Uh, of the world would always be there uh, at Richard's shows to see him. Um, all the f uh, famous uh, actress and actors would show up. And so I was like, but um, really none of that was a distraction because I, I had to focus on, on the show and I had a, you know, a show to run. And there were times that Richard, that I actually had to, uh, an 18-piece orchestra at 14 years old, I'm playing drums and I'm conducting the orchestra at the same time that I'm playing drums, playing my parts. So it was a, a you know, a pretty powerful thing. And Richard used to uh, always tell the uh, conductor that, you know, and he, boy, he had that conductor. He had, he, he had him by the, you know what, he was like, you know what, you don't do this and you don't do that. And he was, it was very, very, um, manipulative with this guy. You know, I'll, I'll have Alvin to conduct the orchestra. You know, I'll have Alvin to take care of, take, take your job, you know? So this guy, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's, it, I, I was too involved with uh, trying to set up, well, what's gonna happen uh, after the verse, uh, anyway. And then a lot of time also the, with so much going on, I would start lagging a little bit. The the beat would be the beat would get a little lax, and Richard would look over at me and go, "Watch my shoulder! Watch my shoulder! Watch my shoulder!" And he would be, "Watch my shoulder!" You know, and so and it's just a, it's a thing that all the guys that's ever worked with Richard would always say. Watch my shoulder, watch my shoulder. You know, we would do that, of course, when Richard wasn't around, you know. Hey, watch my shoulder, watch my shoulder. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, it was fun working with Richard, but I had to keep my mind really occupied with what I was doing. So I didn't think too much about who little Richard was or who Elvis Presley was. Um, I mean, I... It was just I'd, I'd meet somebody and see them, uh, whether it was John Wayne or whoever it was, you know, that I'd run into and I'd 
I wouldn't think anything of it because it, I know they were there to see the show and to see Richard, but I had to be thinking in my mind, what's my next move? So I was, I, I was really occupied with a lot of things that were going on. So none of that stuff phased me. It was just like nothing really. So if we're at 14, you're doing this, how long does the show run where you guys are opening for Elvis and you know, you're happen to be playing with Billy Preston and then little Richard and Jimmy James who, and who we know is Jimi Hendrix. How long does this show go on until, and then tell us the next step or what's the next thing that kind of pops and happens for you as you go? Uh, well, you mean in in terms of years or in time of an actual show? As far as the actual show, because I mean, it's it's incredible. Because like we hear the the sound bites, right, yeah, Alvin? Like we hear the sound bites about Alvin. Oh, Alvin at five started drumming, fourteen got uh, started traveling with uh, Little Richard, uh, opening for Elvis Presley, and then and then and then. But a lot of times we don't hear the in between. So you're playing right. there in Vegas. What happens next? Well, you know, we next next uh, we would end up going to um, another place. I remember um, Don Rickles was uh, the uh, booking agent. He doubled as a comedian and a booking agent for a place called the King's Castle in Lake Tahoe. And um, I was Richard had this back in the day. We didn't have these um, the phones that we have with the speakers. You know, speakerphone, and you can hear the, you know, I got you on speaker. Well, Richard would have kind of like a shoebox, a makeshift kind of a thing that you could take the phone and put it in there, and then it would, and it would echo so you could hear the conversation, you know, with without having the speakerphone, you could hear it. So he, uh, Richard would drop the phone in the in the box, and he he could walk about and talk, and he said, so so uh, uh, is it like uh, Don Rick, Rickles is on the phone. And, and, and Richard always called them Don Wrinklers, Don Wrinklers, Don Wrinklers. He said, "Ooh, he, honey." He said, "I'll talk to him." He said, "He kind of funny, but he ain't as funny as Mom's Mabley. I like Mom's Mabley a whole lot better. She can out joke his ass any day." You know? <laughs> and um, so uh, Don Wrinklers would be on the phone, and uh, uh, Richard would say, "Oh, uh, Don, honey, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Hold on one second. I'm trying to get this." One 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 hair to act right. Uh, 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 excuse me, honey. Uh, ooh, oh, I, ooh, I got it. And then he would be Richard would be messing with his hair in the mirror, and uh, Don Rickles would come on. He said, "What, Don? What could I do for you, honey?" And he's like, "Richard," he says, "Um, um, you know, I'm booking um, uh, uh, acts over at uh, the King's Castle." He said, uh, "The King's Castle." Richard said, "Yeah," he, and he says, "And and uh, we thought that it would be great to have you." over at the King's Castle and just wondering how much you charge. And Richard was like, oh, honey, uh, I charge $50,000 a show. And Don's like, $50,000 a show? Are you got to be kidding me, Richard. We never paid anybody $50,000. Richard said, oh, honey, uh, have you ever stopped to think you ain't never had anybody like me over there? You ain't never asked nobody like me? <laughs> he said, if you don't want to pay my, you don't want to pay the king, the king's, uh, the, the king, ca- the if you don't want to pay, you don't want to pay the king's price to come to the king's castle. Then get your mama to do the job. She'll probably do a better job than me anyway. You know. <laughs> so so the, the, it was kind of funny uh, to see how Richard handled business and how he talked to people. And um, so we, you know, on any given day, we'd be uh, doing another gig somewhere else. Um, 
uh, doing festivals uh, in Europe. Uh, the, uh, the I can't think of the name of the show that, uh, that we would do every year uh, in um, uh, Germany, uh, the Oktoberfest, yeah, the Oktoberfest. And uh, so we would do those shows and so there was always something going on, and then finally it got to the place where things started to die out a little bit. Um, R- Richard would take uh, these vacations and, and go do just a promo thing, and he wouldn't need the band. And I remember him saying, I'm going on a hiatus, you know, and, and I didn't know what that was. And in fact, after hearing it, I got the wrong word wrong. I said, hey, Billy because I didn't know what it was. I said, Billy Preston, hey, hey Billy, what's a hyenas? Uh, Richard says, and Billy was look at me and said, hyenas, what do you mean a hyenas? Um, he says, in what context did you hear that in? I said, well, Richard was saying that he was, he was going to take a hyenas. And I said, I don't know what a hyenas is. He said, oh, okay, a hiatus, a hiatus. I said, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? He said, well, it means that Richard's going to take a vacation. He said, for Richard, it's a vacation, but for us, it means we're out of work, you know? <laughs> so uh, the next thing I know, Richard was, I mean, uh, Billy, Richard was taking a hiatus, but Billy uh, wanting to continue to work, uh, asked me if I wanted to continue to work and, you know, earn a little money and do stuff. And I was like, sure. So the next thing I know, we end up over at Motown I uh, met a guy by the name of Tony Jones and Suzanne DePass, and they are giving us a lot of dates working with the Jacksons individually, collectively, Smokey Robinson, Stevie Wonder, Rick James, uh, Tina Marie, I mean, uh, the Originals, uh, Temptations. So, I mean, you name it. We were working with all these acts, doing all these Tamala Motown uh, uh, recordings. And uh, so... Uh, I ended up becoming a, um, a, an independent studio musician and always wanted to be in a band. And But really, um, I had a chance maybe a couple of times uh, to, to be with a few of the different bands, but I chose not to. I didn't really want to. I was uh, in a group called the Eric Burden Band with Eric Burden from The Animals after he had put together the band War. And after that band War, he... Um, uh, initially um, asked me to be his drummer with the Eric Burden band. I uh, turned down the gig for war, the band war, I could have been the drummer. I never wanted to really be a part of a big band like that as a drummer. Uh, I didn't mind being a part of a small band. I don't know, I guess I'm kind of a ham, you know what I mean? Like, hey, if I'm going to be in a band, I want to be in a band like The Who, where there's only three or four guys that we can name. And, <laughs> I'm one of the guys, you know what I mean? <laughs> Alvin, what do, what do people not know about Motown? <clears throat> I mean, because we, I mean, that's, that's a, a fa- like part of the fabric of our, of our country and a part of music, but you were there at the very beginning. You're there with all the legends. What do we not know about Motown? Well, Motown was a family. Motown was a family. And, and, you know, you hear uh, uh, about groups like, uh, uh, well, there's uh, Leland Sklar and uh, those guys, uh, the the family, you know, um, 
And uh, at one time we were called the section, you know, with uh, Wadi Wattel and uh, Danny Kuchmar, and, uh, the great drummer Russ Kunkel, uh, Leland Sklar playing bass, uh, Clarence McDonald on keyboards, and they they they, they were a family, and uh, to the degree that, you know, if uh, if there was like Jackson Brown, Carol King. Uh, Linda Ronstadt, uh, uh, and maybe two or three other acts that were going to be doing this uh, show, well, they would have the same band to back up everybody. It would be the same band for all those groups. Well, that's the way Motown was. Motown had the Funk Brothers. They had a a, a basic rhythm section uh, that, you know, the same... Um, the Temptations, when the Temptations go off stage and the uh, Supremes come on stage, they'd have the same guys playing uh, for each group, uh, which was the, the basic rhythm section would hardly ever change, you know. And so it was with the records and recordings when they had James Jamerson playing bass. Every, every now and then they would have a different bass player uh, for whatever reason, but uh, it was a family. It was just, that's basically what it was. It was just, you know, a total family. Did you know that Michael, like when you came around the Jackson 5, did you know that Michael was going to be what Michael was? Um, not in the sense of what Michael became. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I always knew that he was something special. And something amazing because I, I never seen anybody that worked so hard. This kid worked so hard. Uh, we had a, an adjoining room right next to them, and we saw the mirrors. Uh, you know where they would get in front of the mirror and do their steps together and uh, try to uh, dance and uh, to get their dance routines down. And when the band. Uh, was gone home and all the other brothers, you know, were somewhere gone. There would be Michael there in that mirror by himself trying to get it right, trying trying to pose. And the way he was dancing and he just, it was just, uh, so I knew there was something special, something unique and different about him. And I knew he tried harder than the rest of them. So, I mean, I had no idea how it would pay off. I didn't know that it would pay off the way that it did, but it, it didn't surprise me. So, Alvin, when you think about uh, you starting to drum at five years old, right, um, it wasn't like in that church service that you read music right off the bat. You felt it. Am I correct? So this was something that was natural inside of you. What is the difference between the kid who picks up the drums, is natural at it, and then the kid, like an Alvin, who is natural at it, goes and then bang these things. These things happen. What is? I mean, help us to understand what that. What what the 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 magic? I know there's no magic beans, um, but to the young drummer out there, what would your advice be? That you know they're picking up the drums, they're starting to do it, they're starting to aspire to it. But when they're saying they want to be a drummer. Then there maybe their parents or their uncle or somebody is saying you can't do that. That's not a real profession. But then we got the Alvins of the world. 
Yeah, you just got to keep exploring. Uh, never take uh, no for an answer. Um, just um, when they tell you that it can't be done, just keep doing what you're doing. Because all along, you know, when they're telling you that it can't be done, you're doing it. You know, you're doing it. You're doing what they said that can't be done. You know, um, when, you know, I, you know, I'm, hey, listen, I'm sitting on, sitting on, a, you know, um, on a television show right now with, you know, Kelly Cardenas, you know, <laughs> Kelly Cardenas, baby. And you know what? If you would have told me 20 years ago that, that that's not going to happen, that can't be done. Well, if I continue to do what I'm doing, you know, eventually something is bound to happen. Eventually, I you know I never thought that I would ever you know play in the front of the Queen, uh, do a royal performance for the Queen. It's like it's impossible. And 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 if someone would have said to me, you know, uh, you're going to be doing you know, you're going to be playing in the front of the queen, you know, uh, with the Leo Sayer, uh, I'd be saying, nah, that's impossible. That's not going to happen. I'm not even going to be able to play with Leo Sayer. But as I continue to work and continue to keep doing what I'm doing, uh, something's bound to happen that, that's above and beyond my, imag- my greatest imagination. So when you, uh, when you become like you start working with Motown, you guys are doing the independent part. You're doing, uh, you know, you're doing a ton of work there. What is the next thing? What's the next thing that, that happens? What's the uh, next thing that pops? Well, the next thing that happens is that, uh, doing a lot of sessions and all of a sudden getting, uh, a lot of praise and a lot of recognition for all these great sessions. How and old are you, ha- Alvin, how old are you at this time? How much time has transpired? Oh. Uh, probably around right about now I'm around 24 okay 24 years old and um, so around that age um, I started getting offers to go out and tour with various different people uh, play with different people from you know uh, recording with different people and record an album with Cher and you know recorded an album with Bob Welch he was one of the original uh, singers with Fleetwood Mac. I did uh, Ebony Eyes and Sentimental Lady and all those songs with him. Uh, we did a live show at the Roxy with his friends, uh, Fleetwood Mac, and all of his friends showed up, Bob Welch and friends. I happened to be one of the friends. I was his drummer, you know. Uh, so um, then I did a, um, an album called Prisoner with Cher and the group America. I uh, was in the studio with America because uh, the drummer, um, Bobby Columbi, who was with a band called Blood, Sweat and Tears, uh, became the producer over at Capitol. And when he found out that I was working with Carter uh, for the band, uh, well, with Big Fleetwood and Bob Welch and those guys, um, he wanted me on uh, the album that he was producing. And he was producing a group called America. And he asked me to come and play on their album. So I had a chance to work with them. So a lot of various different uh, sessions and studio things sort of happening and going on the road, traveling with various different people from, you know, the uh, Bob Dylans to the Leo Sayers and 
all these various different people. So I'm starting to do a lot of traveling, uh, end up in the Eric Burden Band, traveling around the world with Eric. And um, yeah, so just staying busy, working on various different projects. Did you know uh, when you did the first episode, this is, this blew me away too, because you were on the first episode of Saturday Night Live and you were drumming on that. Did you know what Saturday Night Live was going to be when you I don't did think, it? I don't think Saturday Night Live knew it, what it was <laughs> going to be, you know? I mean, all that I know is that everybody on the show was so nice. Uh, the, every, nobody, uh, it was so much excitement going on nobody chose to close their dressing room you know everybody left their dressing room says you're walking backstage you're able to see people sticking their head out as you're walking through the i mean there's chevy chase and john belushi over here and gilda ratner over here and garrett marsh and these are just you know i mean these are people that are first time you know hey let's we're daytime play primetime players you know daytime players we got a show and we're just all doing a show. That's all that it was, you know? And so we were just all called to be characters on the Saturday Night Live. And I happened to be one of the characters, which uh, my uh, character was, my position was the drummer with Billy Preston, you know, uh, playing nothing from nothing leaves nothing. So, yeah. And, and, and I'm grateful for that show. I'm telling you, I, everybody on that show became famous and um, had a very lucrative uh, career indeed. And uh, I'm grateful to, uh, to be able to say that I was a part of that. With this, with this humble spirit that you have, and <clears throat> for everyone listening, when you meet Alvin, if you get the opportunity to, um, this is who Alvin is. And when he said, like, you know, at 14, and, and I'm freaking out that you're playing with Little Richard, Billy Preston, and Jimmy James, we know as Jimi Hendrix, opening for Elvis. I'm freaking out, and you're like, no, nah, I'm 14 years old. I need to focus. I might be the conductor. I might be the drum. Has there ever been any pinch-me moments in your life where you were just about to play or you met someone and you said, holy cow, or did you stay in that Alvin mentality all the time? Well, pretty much it was um – I, I always had to be um, focused, you know, um, I had to be focused no matter what. Uh, I was backstage uh, and some guy came up to me, his name was Clive Franks. And he says, uh, my name's Clive Franks and I'm a producer. He handed me his business card. He says, uh, you're the greatest drummer I ever seen in my life. And I'm like, so, and? And he's like, well, um, I'm getting ready to produce Elton John. And I'd like for you to be on that album. I'd like for you to be the drummer. Hmm. Wow. So, I'll tell you. Um, my thought was, holy crap, am I going to be able to do this? That was the first thought that came to mind. And this, it, it, but this guy here is a producer, and he's apparently thinks that I can. So let me start preparing for this right away. So that's what my thought is. My thought is, okay, well, what do I have to do to live up to whatever it is that this guy sees? So I never really, 
I did I never had time to stop really too much to think about the the glory or the how wonderful it is and how great it is. You know, it's like you know, excuse the expression, you know, get your ass in gear and be be prepared to do the work. Because that's that's what it was all about. It's about let's do some work, you know, and and uh, it it never. I mean, yeah. Later on, you you see the the fun parties and all the you know you riding in the limousines and the you know all the glamour you know and all that stuff and that's all a part of it. But you you don't think of it when you're in that. You know, you're concentrating and focus on what do I do on stage? What do I do when? When when the red button comes on, you know, when the red and white button are pushed together and they go, take one, you know, what do I do then? If, if I'm too much thinking about, wow, Elton John, or wow, you know, Little Richard, or anybody, whoever it is I'm playing with, if I'm, I, I, I'll miss, uh, how do they say it, you'll miss the, yeah, you know, don't miss the moment, you know. Uh for the season or whatever, I don't know how, whatever you say. I just didn't want to miss miss out on anything because I'm caught up in, in ecstasy for something, you know, or I'm thinking about something that I shouldn't be thinking about when, my, when I need to have my mind focused on what it, you know, why they got me here, you know, what am I here for, you know? How were, how were you able to, Alvin, keep your mind in that place and your body in that place? Because there's a couple things that are synonymous with rock and roll, right? And we know what they are. I mean, obviously, there's the music part of it, but then there's the extracurricular. And a lot of times we see bands break up. We see, uh, you know, uh, uh, amazing artists end up not being able to produce music because of the things. How were you able to keep your mind straight in the midst of all the stuff that you were dealing with? Well, I, you know, uh, I hate to say it, I'm I'm no saint, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we love when you say that, Alvin. We hey, love that. Hey, 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 look, look. It might not be good English, but let me say it this way: I ain't no saint, you know. <laughs> I ain't no saint, uh, or you know, I'm I'm striving to be the very best that I possibly can be. In hindsight, after looking at everything. But yeah, it, I I screwed up many times, you know. And there were many times that uh, I was involved in things that I should not have been involved in, uh, in the wrong place at the at the wrong time. Uh, uh, fortunately, I, I, I was not uh, at the dope man's house when I should have been on stage. Fortunately, that never <laughs> happened. <laughs> uh, Hey, but was I at the dope man's house? Yes, absolutely. I was at the dope man's house. I've been there, you know, been there, done that. I'm grateful to be clean, to be sober, and uh, to not only be uh, clean and sober uh, in, in action, but also in mind, uh, and in mind, and, and continuing to do stuff that um, that that that's of sober mindedness. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, it's it's easy to get in trouble if you don't stay focused and if you don't continue to do what you're supposed to be doing. And so I was around a lot of people, um, a lot of extracurricular activities going on backstage, and I knew that if I participated that I would not be able to pull off a good show. And in spite of them and their position doesn't mean that 
I can't put on a good show. And so I, I'm going to be, if nobody else is going to do a good show, I'm going to be one that does a good show. So that, that was my mindset. I kind of, it kind of helped me. That kind of saved the day for me. Uh, because I'm telling you, man, it, especially back in the day when um, cocaine uh, came on the scene, uh, they called it nose candy. And, uh, you know, I like candy, you know. <laughs> and, and so, you know, uh, so when they talked about uh, having, you know, um, um, an opportunity to, to participate, um, I would quickly uh, play the tape ahead, fast forward and say, okay, will I be able to get through the show or will I mess the show up? So it was always about the show for me. Yeah. It was always about, you know, making sure the sound and what I was doing was going to be the best thing. So I didn't mess up in that respect, but uh, on the other end, boy, after the show, let me tell you. Yeah, I'll tell you. <laughs> So tell us, tell us one of the funniest stories that you experienced, whether you were out on the road or in the studio that a lot of times we don't hear once the record comes out or the tour happens. Um, some of those specifics behind the scenes stuff that, you know, cause inquiring minds want to know Alvin. Yeah. Wow. God, where do I start? There's so many, uh, something funny that happened. You mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or, I mean, something that, that, that made you belly laugh or maybe something that you hadn't told anybody about. Oh, wow. I wasn't ready for this one. I wish you'd have prepared me for that one. I see. I have to think. <laughs> <laughs> there's so many, God, there's just so many things that uh, that happened. Uh, uh, okay, so we're, we're on a plane uh, with Billy Preston. And Billy, uh, just what a wonderful guy he he was, Billy Preston. But Billy Billy uh, uh, had a liking for this thing called uh, uh, Cavassier. <laughs> Cavassier, his 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 French friend. And Billy uh, loved cocaine, and somehow. Cocaine and Cavassier and Billy Preston did not mix. It just didn't mix. But, you know, you try to tell Billy that. Oh, boy, you're going to have trouble, you know, trying to get that across to Billy. So we're, we're on a plane. We're headed uh, to uh, somewhere back south. And um, Billy wants to practice um, one of the songs. And this is, I think, think after we had just finished getting nothing from nothing, leaves nothing. It was big on the radio, and and so we we're trying to learn the song so we can you know, record it as one thing, but playing it live is a whole different thing. So Billy puts on a set of heads headphones, and you know, um, back in the day, you could you could bring your little, you know, your little. Uh, uh, as Ray Charles called it, your your little nip. Don't don't you fall down and bust your lip after having your little nip, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's go get stoned, you know. And back in the day, I mean, it, it, they didn't search your bags like like they do now. And you could bring on, you know, a fifth of vodka or, you know, whiskey or whatever. Billy had his cabossier and 
Of course, he had his coke, his cocaine, and his uh, um, cocaine and kvassi just don't mix together, you know, too good. So, I mean, you know, it's just like you, you got this high one thing, then you got this, you know, you're mean and you're, you know, you got your happiness, you're happy, you're mean, you know. Yeah, so it's bipolar type of stuff, you know. Uh, so um, Billy's got this headset on and he's trying to learn the song. Uh, recording it is one thing, but playing it live is a whole different thing. So Billy's, nothing from nothing. He's screaming at the top of his lungs, and he's got this headset. And people are looking around on the plane, and like, what's wrong with this nut? You know, who is this guy? And most prop, most of the people didn't, that knew the song had no idea that that was Billy Preston, the guy who actually sings the song, you know? Yeah. But he's, he's singing this song, and... We're all, the whole band, we're like, hey, Billy, Billy, shh, you know, bring it down. And he's like, oh, hell, man, nobody thinking about these people, man. They, I ain't talking that loud anyway. And he's like, just uh, everybody on the plane is hearing this, you know. Finally, the stewardess comes over and tells Billy, hey, sir, could you please keep, your, um, keep it down a little bit? Uh, you're disturbing the tenants. Next to you, he said, "Well, hell, let them get up, let them move over and and, and get another seat somewhere. I'm, I, I I got work to do, you know." He's like, totally inconsiderate <laughs> of everybody, drunk out of his mind. I just totally, and so they kept telling Billy, you know, and so finally, um, when we arrived, I think I can't remember where it was, Mobile, Alabama, somewhere in south. We landed. We 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 were supposed to land and drop off a few people and take off and go on to the wherever we were going to go. But when we stopped, it was like the, the marshals were there, you know, the local police, and they all come. They grab Billy and take Billy off the plane. Oh, yeah, it was in Memphis. Mm. And uh, so um, Al Green uh, ended up uh, at the uh, police department bailing Billy out and bringing Billy to his house. And um, I think Al... Uh, rented a chartered a, a private uh, uh, plane to get Billy to the next gig, wherever it was that we were. So anyway, uh, that was probably one of the saddest, but still funny things that actually occurred at the same time it was happening. <laughs> we thought it was pretty funny. So Alvin, one of the one of the crazy things is is, you know, at fourteen you take off, you're you're with little Richard, then you you know you go into the independent side, you're connected with every single, I mean, the top uh, musicians in the world. You're living this life that is unbelievable, but you're staying focused, you're getting your thing. You said that you know you you visited the dope man, but the dope man, the police weren't at the dope man's house when you came. Yeah, um, thank God. So so you're going through all this stuff, but there's something happening back in. Palm Springs in section 14. Wow. And can you talk about that? Because most of us think like, okay, this is the Cinderella story, right? Um, <laughs> this, this young man is, you know, he's, it, he's so talented. He gets discovered. Like it's just boom, it goes. But Alvin, you're also dealing with things in America and in our culture when you're traveling that people can't even imagine 
I mean, it's unbelievable what is, but there's also something happening in Section 14. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Uh, well, in fashioning the exclusive community uh, of Palm Springs, uh, they had um, a government here that, you know, they were pretty smart. They, they wanted to have a, a community where, you know, they could bring in the rich and the famous and uh, that was no secret, you know, uh, where they could have a place where Lucille Ball and uh, Frank Sinatra and um, uh, Bob Hope and people like that could come and live. But uh, that was no secret. The secret was is that in order to uh, find them, uh, uh, you know, um, nice properties to, to live, uh, they were clearing out a section known as uh, section 14, which is a square mile parcel of land in downtown uh, 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 Palm Springs. Uh, and um, this land was allocated uh, to people of color who were poor, who were actually people who built Palm Springs and made it what it is. But th this is the only place that they could actually live because it was the only place that were affordable. So it was the uh, Indian tribe, the Agua Caliente Cahuilla Band of Indians, who would rent their land out. But uh, like my mom and dad, for instance, uh, my mom was uh, a maid uh, for Lucille Ball. And uh, they, um, they couldn't really afford to live like Lucille Ball. Uh, but what we did do is we um, worked, they worked hard enough to save up enough money to build their own house. And uh, so when they built their own house, uh, matter of fact, they couldn't get a loan from the bank because the bank uh, would redline them. They wouldn't allow them to get loans because of their skin color. And so they had to work hard enough to build their uh, own house and uh, get the money to buy the material to build their own house. Fortunately, the Indians would uh, allow them to rent their land. But now the leaders, the civic leaders, uh, uh, community leaders that were like the, um, what would you call it, uh, the, like the mayor and the, uh, the uh, city council members, they were kind of a lot of rich, wealthy people, or very wealthy, I should say. Um, they had race and policy going on in Palm Springs that was like, well, forget about, you know, um, the beautiful, uh, the, the, forget about the, the, the social status of, of the city. Let's just try to uh, beautify, you know, this place. And uh, so, you know, rather than uh, consolidation and containment uh, of the minority population, um, the purpose of this uh, uh, wanting to get people together in, in Palm Springs and have a nice place to stay was all about disperse, disbursement, uh, dispersal. Let's get rid of the people who were living on the land that these folks, that we could develop this land for them to live on. And I'm, you know, I'm being real nice here. You know, I really you don't have to. You don't have to be nice, Alvin. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Because this this is not a nice thing. Like, you know, when I heard about the Section 14, and especially when you think about, I mean, again, you're out and you're living 
your purpose, your dream, and you're around the world and you're with some of the greatest musicians in the world and some of the most influential people are in your audiences, things like that. But back at home, your family is dealing with things that, I mean, are inhumane. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, that's the development of the the, the elite, uh, you know, uh, beginning a, a real active political campaign uh, to uh, control downtown and to control the land that uh, minorities, people of color, uh, were living on. And uh, so uh, they, uh, despite the fact that, you know, what um, we didn't have a place to go, uh, they continued to uh, capitalize on the uh, the fact that, you know what, uh, we want to make this a beautiful city and we want to make it uh, affordable for the rich and famous and you can't afford, so get out. So they moved us out of town to the outskirts of town and uh, took over downtown. And uh, so, and and people say, well, it, it's it, most people that are, 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 are against uh, the movement of reparations for that kind of stuff is, they're saying that, well, you know what, let's blame it on the Indians. Well, the Indians at the time, the, the native uh, tribe, they um, were under conservatorship um, by these uh, business, uh, these white business owners and uh, business people that ran the city. Uh, so even though they fought for sovereignty over their own land, they didn't have the ability to do that because um, the city, they controlled how the government ran. And so they, they would come up with all kinds of ways to, um, you know, um, make sure that the underprivileged didn't get uh, a chance to live in the city. And so it was just a horrible thing that took place. And uh, yeah, just if you want to read about it, just Google uh, section Palm Springs section fourteen, uh, or you can even um, uh, Google my name, Alvin Taylor, uh, section fourteen survivor, and then a bunch of articles will come up. It's in the Smithsonian. There's a a, a um, uh, um, uh, what do you call it? A display in the Smithsonian Institute about it, and. Uh, yeah, it's it's a horrible situation. Alvin, if you weren't being nice, what would you say? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, if I wasn't nice, <clears throat> I you know what? It's 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 hard for me to it's hard for me too, so because I I, I I strive so hard to be nice. Um. um my thing, Kelly, is I strive to be a noble man of character, and I don't always make it. But when I when I don't always make it, it's it's not intentionally. It's not that I tried not to make it, you know. Mm-hmm. So when my my objective is to always find a way to be nice, mm-hmm. even when I don't want to be nice. And right now, believe me, I don't want to be nice, <laughs> but I have to find a way to be nice because my uh, karma tells me that um, I will be able to collect more bees with honey than shit. 
<laughs> this is one of the million reasons why I love you. If you read the article, and we'll, we're going to put a link to the article in The Guardian, um, Alvin's, uh, Alvin's family and the community, their homes were bulldozed. They were, bur- they were burned. They were displaced. They were put out of their own homes and w- without anything, with, without any uh, um, explanation and just saying that, hey, we're just taking this. So he's also, I mean, honestly, one of the most kind people, gentle, humble, um, I'm his friend, and right now I'm not, because every single person that is listening to this, you need to read the article, you need to understand it, and then for us all to be able to put our voices to it, because it's still in the mix right now, and it's still happening. You're still championing this cause, which I think is amazing, Alvin. Absolutely, yeah. We're uh, dealing with it. We have some great uh, people that are working uh, on our team with us, uh, along with us, and uh, my sister Pearl happens to be a chairperson for uh, Section 14 Survivors and Descendants. And we're working with an amazing attorney by the name of Bariva Martin from Martin and Martin. Well, I, I just think it's amazing. I want to I want to go back into because during this time when we when you were uh, you you have such a positive outlook on it, there was some things that you were dealing with when you were in your musical career because at the time in our country also, um, you probably I mean, am I correct in saying uh, Alvin that there was times where you weren't treated the same way that other musicians were treated while you were doing the exact same work that they were doing? Well, that's true as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, you know, and I hate to be specific about it, but a lot of time, I mean, I remember doing a, a show, a live show at the Roxy with Bob Welch and uh, was the show was called Bob Welch and Friends. Well, here I am working my ass off doing all the drumming and all the major drumming uh, for for the whole show. And of course, Bob had, he was in Fleetwood Mac, so he had his clonies, his friends, uh, Mick and, um, you know, Christine McVie and Stevie to come and join for like one or two songs. Well, the next thing you know, there's a whole album out saying Bob Welsh and Friends featuring, and it names all of the Fleetwood Mac guys and Bob Welsh and nothing about me. And it's, and then they're playing all the songs that I played on when you're hearing the drumming. And so people are thinking that it's Mick Fleetwood. And i sorry, Mick, to cut you off on this, buddy, but I got I to tell it like it is. <laughs> I mean, Mick's only playing on one song. And I'm doing all the work, but Mick's getting all the credit for it because he's Mick, Mick Fleetwood. So... So what was anyway. some of the, what what were some of the things that uh, like when you're calling back to talk to your mom right because at 14 years old you better be calling your mom every day because if not she's coming with the shoe upside your head right <laughs> yeah. you're calling mom what is the advice that <coughs> mom what is the advice that mom is giving you know and and guidance that she's giving to her 14 year old who's now on the road in front of the whole entire world well just keep your head up and uh, you know. Uh, you know, make sure that you're doing the right thing, you know, basically. And, uh, you know, stay away from uh, things that, that don't look good, that don't look right for you, and don't get involved. You know, they start smoking marijuana in there, get out of the room and go, you know. So. Sometimes he listened, sometimes he didn't. 
Hey, I'm 14 years old. I'm grown. You can't tell me what to do. What do you? Now that, especially now that I'm out here on, on my own. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Alvin, what do you wish that people knew about the music industry? Because you got to see a change, right? You you had this, I mean, it was, you know, you had this explosion when you came onto the scene, right? And I mean, it's it's everywhere, it's going. And then we go through, you know, we go into the CD era from the record side, right? And then we go into the digital side, and then music changes completely, um, what, what is it that you wish that more people knew about music and about musicians and what we could do to be able to support it? That's a hard question. Um, what, do, what is it that I wish that they knew about music Yeah, and because how, how to support it? Yeah, because for us, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, a person would, I, I remember it back in the day, like I get the tape and then I put the tape little scotch tape over the top of the little thing. And then I'd be able to get my own recording off of it. And then I'd share it with my buddy, not knowing, not knowing that in the future, my friends would be those musicians who that would be their livelihood. But I'm just doing something that I think that, oh, it's no big deal. I just share it. But obviously you've seen the music game change so many times. Where do you see it going right now? Well, you know, now is the greatest time to be an independent artist. There's no greater time than being an independent artist than now because so many of the record labels have stole and taken money from people. They've taken their shirt right off of the artist's back. They've taken their shirts right off of their backs. And, you know, uh, in order to um, put food on the table, I have to work. So if I work to put food on the table, but the money that I make that I can put food on the table, some clown is grabbing that and taking it from me, then I'm working for nothing and I'm not able to feed my own family. So, um, yeah, man, um, support music, support, support your local musicians, support your local music. And, um, you know what, if you see a shirt, you go to a, you know, to the store, you, you don't grab that shirt and stick it in your pocket and walk out. You, you pay for it, you know, so pay for it and make sure that, uh, you know, make sure that you're supporting your local musicians. Um, not just those who are signed to major record labels, but those who are independent, those who have their own label, uh, those who are just doing it over online. Support, support uh, these online shows support these uh, online uh, people that uh, have that sell their each CDs online without a major record label behind it you know um, you know a J Joe Blows records you know uh, or somebody some group you never heard of you like the music you know buy it Support Alvin, what do you what do you wish that people knew about the record labels? Because I think a lot of times as a kid consuming music, I would see somebody that had a record out or got a record, uh, you know, got a, a record deal. And I would think, oh, wow, they're riding off into the sunset. They got one record. They're riding off into the sunset. Everything's going to be cool for them for the rest of their entire lives. What do we not know about the record labels as you grew up in it? Well, you know, uh 
it it doesn't quite go that way. I mean, just because you see me riding in a limousine and smiling, you know, with a diamond ring on my hand, doesn't mean that I'm not going to pay for this diamond ring for the rest of my life. It could have been just this could just be a loan to make me look good for now, and I could be paying this off for the next twenty years. But at the time that I want to look good, and at the time that I want to ride in a limousine and want to be on TV and want to look good and wearing all my nice jewelry and jewels and stuff, you know, uh, that could set me back for 15 to 20 years. So uh, all that's, my mom used to tell me all that, that, that's glitter is not gold, you know? Uh, so all that's, all that glitters is not gold. So just because it looks shiny doesn't mean that it, it, it uh, you know, it, it, that someone's made it, you know, and they've done good. So just, uh, realize that a lot of time these artists uh they they haven't really made it um you know um when you're going up and getting an award it doesn't mean you made it i mean it you, you might have gotten 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 an award but you still might be in the hole and you may not have made a dime as even though you might look good you know so i don't know uh just be careful looks it can be deceiving. Let's just put it that way. Alvin, we were talking yesterday and you said something to me that was so impactful. You said to sacrifice the illusion. And we were talking about the spirituality side and for you having a lot of times, I think people look at accomplishments of individuals and they're like, Oh wow. Either they want that thing, but they don't realize the amount of work that goes into it. But also they don't realize that the reason why you're able to accomplish what you accomplish is because of the person that you are, not what you do or your abilities. And you said sacrifice the illusion yesterday. Can you explain this to the, to the audience? Cause it blew my mind. Well, I was just saying basically, you know, in order to know yourself, you really, let's put it this way. Um, a, a, a self appraisal, uh, an appraisal of oneself is insufficient. So it's better to, to, to get with someone who can take a look at some of your fault and kind of sh point some things out for you to see in order for you to see them. Because you know what, um, you know, if you want me to tell you about myself, I'm going to tell you all the good stuff and I might not tell you about some of the bad things, you know, that, you know, you, you might be able to help me with. So if, I, if I'm going to be honest and tell you about everything, I get a chance to sacrifice. Um, you know, uh, so to know yourself, you have to sacrifice the illusion that you already do. So in other words, I'm feeling like I already know everything about me and it's all good. So I don't need to know anything else, basically. But if I'm going to really know myself, I need to sacrifice the illusion or the delusion, sacrifice the delusion that I think I already do, because I don't. There's many things that I don't know about myself that I, uh, I find out through Kelly, that I find out through you, through I find out through others, if I'm humble enough to allow somebody to tell me about myself. Alvin, with the type of decorated career that you have, which is, I mean, unmatched, um, give us a couple high points 
for you, not from a, a standpoint of us, like, oh, yeah, the pinnacle of music is to get this award. But I'm just saying that little thing in you that you said, like, that was so cool. Even if it didn't mean anything to the world, what was that to Alvin? Well, it's, it's about imagination. It's, it's not, to me, uh, you know, the, someone said the true sign of intelligence is not knowledge, but imagination. Yeah, imagination. So I have to imagine that I'm where I'm at long before I'm ever there. And if I can't imagine me not being there, I'll never get there. It's just like a drum part. Um, it, when someone gives me a, a session or a, a, a part to play, if I can't... If I can't get it in my mouth and be able to hum it, I'm not going to be able to play it. If I can't hum it, if I can't get it in my head, exactly how that's going to go, I'm, I'm not going to be able to play it. So if I can't imagine it before I play it, I'll never play it. How do you come up with the beats? Like, that just blew my mind in that one. And I, when we go back to the first of, the, uh, of this show, the, this, this uh, episode, and I told you about a time where I was freaked out. You pointed at me and said, give me a beat. And I was like, I, I didn't know where it was coming from. And I, but where, where, like, where's the construction of it? Because you have, I mean, you have created some of the greatest beats of all time. How do you construct them? Uh, it's, it, it's about feelings. It, it comes from, it, it comes from a, a true life and not necessarily a true life well lived. Sometimes it's pretty rough. And so it's being true to yourself, even the rough feelings, you know, um, you know, you, you might've heard the song, uh, uh, Ike and Tina Turner, they go, uh, uh, and Tina Turner saying, you know, um, it's called uh, Rolling on the River. And she says, we never, she says, you know, uh, uh, we would take this song and do it, you know, nice and easy because we, we don't always do everything nice and easy because the, the way we do things is always rough. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and so we have to be able to uh, think about it not always being nice and easy. Sometimes it has to be rough. And uh, that's what I was trying to explain that day when I was out there limping around, I was saying, hey, some of us can't march uh, straight, you know, some of us have been wounded, and we have to walk with the limp, you know, and so, but at the same time, that limp still keeps us in the groove, uh, 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 you know, we still, we still have the groove, even with the limp, so it's about, somebody said, not faking the funk, it's being real with it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't fake the funk, baby. Don't you fake the funk. Alvin, top five, top five uh, um, songs that you have played on and constructed. Uh, Alvin's wow. favorites. I'm not talking about like chart toppers or whatever, which everything that you do is a chart topper. But yeah. name the song and give me five. Give me the top five. Wow, that's really hard. Uh, you know, I... I am so, uh, wow. 
that's that's a real hard one. Uh, okay, well, Ebony Eyes, Bob Welch. Uh, I would say um, um, there's a girl by the name of uh, uh, what's her name, uh, Lauren Lauren Wood. Don't leave me. Don't leave me this way. Uh, Don't leave me. Actually, is the name of the song. Uh, a song by Elton John called "Give Me the Love." Um, a song by Eric Burden, "Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood." Uh, I'm just a soul whose intentions are good. Oh Lord, please! Now it was funny how he said, <laughs> "Oh Lord, Lord, not Lord." Not Lord, all loud. Let me don't let me be misunderstood. So yeah, and um, then um, I also like um, Natalie Cole. Uh, I love you so. So I don't know if that's four or five. I think that's four. Give me one four. more. Even if it was five, I just want one more. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't know the name of the actual song, but I would go and. Uh, grab the uh, uh, view from the ground, uh, gr- a group called America. Uh-huh. Uh, view from the ground, and there's several songs on there. I don't know the names of the songs, but <laughs> one of e- either one of those songs is a uh, song that I played on, and uh, it's a great, great album. Alvin, like. funny, uh, Alvin, funniest little Richard story. Oh, little funniest little Richard story. <laughs> oh Lord, have mercy. <laughs> The funniest, uh, well, the funniest little Richard story, I guess, was uh, boarding, uh, 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 deplaning the uh, the plane at in Las Vegas, Nevada, and walking out to Campbell's, having five Campbell's, uh, and we get on the Campbell's and uh, w- uh, we riding in the middle of the road for a publicity stunt. Only we knew it was, we was going to get arrested. Uh, he didn't know he was going to arrest the whole band, though. You know, so he, he didn't know the whole band was going to get arrested. He thought that only he was going to get arrested. But they ended up arresting the whole band, and well, uh, Warner Brothers ended up having to bail us out. And uh, we were on our way to the International Hotel to open up the show for Elvis Presley, but that was his way of getting publicity and press so that he could get people to come there and see him. <laughs> you know. What, what would your uh, what would your top advice be to uh, to to young artists uh, right now um, that are out there that are playing? They're either in a band right now. They're kind of switching back and forth. Uh, what what would your advice be to them? Be true to yourself. Uh, don't let anybody tell you that um, a number one record is made any certain kind of way. Um, the people will tell you, well, you know what, there's rocks, rocks not out there right now. It's either got to be pop or hip hop. And if it ain't hip hop, baby, then it ain't going to hop. You know, if it ain't hip, it ain't going to hop, you know? And so, you know, and, uh, and I say, Hey, you know what? Um, you know, um, that's not true. Be true to yourself. Uh, don't let anybody tell you that you have to compete with anybody. Just be who you are. What does the artist right now, like a, a a hot artist right now that is on your list and say that you would say, hey, I really want to work with that person? That that I would? Uh-huh. Well, every artist on the planet wants to work with you, but who does Alvin want to 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 play with that you haven't yet? Uh well, I I don't know. That's 
and it's um I don't know. I, I'll tell you, I I, uh, I don't know. I maybe maybe Bruno Mars. Okay. I'd like to teach that youngster a thing or two. <laughs> <laughs> who who are you feeling right now in music? Like when when you turn on music, I know you go back to the classics, and I mean, it, literally, you could turn on any song and you're playing it. So is your song. But what do you what what are you feeling right now? Well, there's, you know, I, I, it's, it's hard to single out one particular person, but because I'm, I'm all over the place. I like everybody, um, you know, but uh, I, I still like, you know, uh, some of the older groups. Uh, I still like uh, Led Zeppelin, you know, and, and I listen to a lot of those bands. And even though there's a, a newer groups around, uh, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this little girl, uh, Olivia Rodrigo and, um, I kind of like uh, the weekend. Uh, I like them a lot. Uh, but my favorite, I, well, I tell you, I like Doja Cat. That's my girl, boy. <laughs> I'm telling you, Doja Cat. Yeah. Meow. <laughs> are, are we good? Is that is that a shout out? Are we gonna hear Alvin yeah. on with Doja Cat? Hopefully, hopefully. Well, hopefully, hopefully we'll for her. Something. Hopefully, Hopefully for her. Hopefully we'll be doing something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Alvin, I started the podcast because of my kids, Maddox and McKenna. I didn't get a chance to bring them up to the drum circle, but hopefully I'll get a chance to be able to bring them up uh, the next time. Uh, Maddox Maybe. is 11 years old, and uh, he's the sports guy in the family. And then I got McKenna, who is the, uh, the performing arts. So she's singing, dancing, uh, and acting. And I started the podcast for the two of them, Maddox, who's 11, McKenna, who's 14. Because I wanted to take iconic people like yourself, and I wanted to show my kids that anything was possible. You can start playing something at five years old, by 14, be on the road with some of the greatest people in that industry. And if you focus on your talent and your purpose exactly where you're at, then all the rest of the stuff will fall in line. And I wanted to show them that there was no, there was no idols Alvin Taylor's not an idol in their life to worship, but he's an icon and he's an individual and a person that has blood running through his veins, that has a phenomenal attitude and great work ethic. So what advice would you have for Maddox and McKenna? And if you could use their names, it would be awesome and refer to yourself as Uncle Alvin. Awesome. Well, um, I'll tell you, uh, just once again, set a goal for yourself where you want to be uh, three years from now. Uh, and then every three years, kind of narrow that down where I want to be two years from now. Where do I want to be a year from now? And keep uh, setting your goals and uh, just watch, 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 watch exactly how you over every time you'll, you'll like, Okay, well, I, I thought that I wanted to, uh, to play um, the, um, um, the, uh, the high school, you know, high school uh, football field uh, game, and now here I am playing, you know, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the Dodger Stadium instead, you know. So it, it, you're going to find out that you're going to do way better than what, you, what your goals were. So just set your goals. Um, and, and make them realistic goals, you know. It, 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 I mean, it could be something far-fetched in your mind. It's, it still could be realistic. 
it's 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 only not realistic when you don't work to make it come to pass. So yeah, set your goals, and uh, go go for your goals. Alvin, can you say uh, to my kids? Can you say Maddox and McKenna? That's from Uncle Alvin. Yes, Maddox. That is definitely from Uncle Alvin and McKenna. From Uncle Alvin to you, go get them. <laughs> Alvin, you have been absolutely phenomenal, man. I, I want to ask you in front of our audience if we can have another episode. I've told you that I'm going to force you to be my friend for the rest of your life. I want to have multiple episodes because I want to have, like you've seen Charlie Murphy's true Hollywood stories. I want to have Alvin Taylor's true musical stories. And for you to come back and just talk to us about this because, I mean, honestly, you are an absolute legend, man. And I, I appreciate your time. I love it. I look forward to coming back and spending more time and uh, even being a little more uh, uh, in depth about uh, what we've had a chance to talk about. Well, for, for all of you out there listening, what I want you to do is I, I definitely want you, we're going to put a link up for section 14. You need to uh, check that out with the decorated career that this man has had, the decorated life, the celebrated life, the legend that he is. There's also a reality to that section 14. And I believe that more and more people need to know about it. You need to read about it. And you need to share it. Now's the time where I want to thank our sponsors, and I want to thank all of them who have been here with us, um, riding since the very, very, very beginning, um, which has been absolutely phenomenal for us. And it has helped every person out there, every one of you has helped us to become in the top 1% of uh, podcast globally. I want to shout out our uh, one of our sponsors, which is the Private Money Club. You guys know that I'm about relationships and uh, you know friendships. Alvin is a friend of mine, and that's the reason why I got a chance to be able to be here with him. And the Private Money Club is all about relationships. Uh, Private Money Club, they, they created an app uh, for people with money that needed to lend it out and people that needed money that needed to, to be able to borrow it. And they created it basically like a dating site where you swipe left and swipe right to be able to find the deals and you're able to connect with those people. It's privatemoneyclub.com backslash Kelly and you can put in the code uh, Kelly500 and you'll get a little something there. The other one too is uh, uh, Money School. And Money School is a, uh, I've got a friend named Chris Noggle. This guy is the number one money mentor in America, and he helps us to be able to have a different relationship with money. Me growing up uh, as a kid, uh, I didn't have a bunch of financial literacy, and I wish I would have had Chris Noggle in my life earlier. Um, you could go to youtube.com and you could type in Chris Noggle and check out Money School that way. But I want to thank you, thank all of our uh, sponsors, thank every one of you for listening, thank uh, Alvin for being here. It has been absolutely tremendous mind-blowing on my side and hopefully it has been for yours please share this with every single person that you know uh, we appreciate you every person that's been listening that's been downloading been sharing um, we appreciate you at the highest level and i want to thank you so much and we are officially off the hot seat